The views, information, or opinions expressed during the following podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the individuals involved. Hello and welcome to Pseudo Intellectuals, the podcast where we discuss all things relating to politics, philosophy, culture, and law. I am Abraham Litwin Logan, and today we will be discussing cancel culture. We're going to examine questions such as Does cancel culture actually exist? Is it justified? Perhaps canceling unpopular opinions is actually for the best. But first, today I'm joined by Harish. How's it going? It's going, Abe. Thanks for asking. Malik, how are you? I'm very good, Abraham. Thank you for asking. And Michael, how are things over there? Do well, do well. Thanks, man. Great. So, Harish, why don't we start with you? What exactly is cancel culture? And in your opinion, is it something that people should be concerned about? Is it a real thing? Um, so maybe what we'll do is we'll start with the definition. Um, cancel culture obviously refers to at least one definition is the popular practice of withdrawing support for cancelling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Um, normally, it's generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. Um, what I think happens is that um, cancel culture sort of stems from the lack of consequences from pop- for popular and powerful individuals. So public of often feels um, some sort of response is warranted. And so they go after these public figures, trying to boycott them either through social media, through their products, or through companies that they support. And by withdrawing support in terms of uh, either not going there, not patronizing those stores, or otherwise, or just posting on social media, that their intent is to try and... um, provide consequences where there appear to be no consequences. Um, so yeah, I, I think that gives us a good starting point on where what can- cancel culture is and what people who are involved in cancel culture try and achieve. Sure. Uh, thanks for that great explanation, Harish. So just to contextualize the discussion for our listeners, what are some examples um, we've seen either in the present day or perhaps in the past where uh, people are being cancelled for offensive or objectionable behaviour that Harris described. Malik, do you have any examples? I do have an example. I think that uh, an example would be Kevin Spacey. Uh, He's perhaps one of the most prominent examples. Uh, We all know that he has been accused of molesting underage uh, individuals. And uh, after that was brought up towards the media, uh, there was a lot of backlash against Kevin Spacey. And if you see nowadays, uh, it would be hard to find uh, Kevin Spacey participating in a movie or something of that type, which is his profession. And that is because he has been effectively cancelled. I guess in this sense, perhaps uh, in the example of Kevin Spacey, uh, there isn't that much of a problem because he has done something uh, that is morally unacceptable. At least uh, many people uh, believe that uh, pedophilia is morally unacceptable. And uh, consequently, one could say that that aspect of uh, cancel culture is, uh, is acceptable, right? But of course, less prominent examples have arised and more controversial examples as well. Uh, examples of where a figure has uh, said something that uh, is not as morally repugnant as the actions of uh, Kevin Spacey. Sure, I, I think that's a great example, uh, Malik. And, and we have to remember that cancel culture, without a doubt, does include 
canceling of, you know, terrible individuals like Kevin Spacey. But at the same time, uh, I think many would argue that there are um, other cases of people who have done things that are uh, clearly not as bad as pedophilia and still have been canceled. And I think this is um, one of the reasons that many people um, are concerned with the rise of cancel culture. Uh, Michael, from your perspective, is cancel culture something you're worried about or is it something that's maybe for the best? I think it, it, it exists on the spectrum. So I know this is this is kind of like a cop-out answer, but it exists on the spectrum. So there are certain things like, the, for lack of a better term, sort of cancel culture, the way why cancel culture works is because of the internet now and sort of like the internet mob that sometimes happens where something, somebody does something wrong. And then it's out on the internet. Everyone has access to the information and it's a lot easier. And you see a lot more people join in cancelling this person in protest of what they've done. And while I agree with, like, say, for example, like, you know, Kevin Spacey, like, yes, he's, you know, pedophiles should be buried underneath the prison. But um, it sort of gets watered down to, like, say, for example, you start digging up somebody's tweets from, like, 10 years ago and that person was, you know, just making, like, a joke in poor taste. And then they're like, oh, you know, now this person is cancelled because, you know, they've said these things that were so horrible or they were participating in maybe some form of offhand racism or whatever it may be. And then now they have to be cancelled. But I think I, I, the, where the line... Not necessarily, it's not a hard line for me, but I just feel uncomfortable when it happens to, especially when it's something that happened a long time ago. And it was, it isn't something, it was something that was born from context. Like say, for example, you know, like you go back like 12 years, 10, 12 years, that idea of like comedy and shock culture where people would say something really weird, but it'd be funny because of that. That's how the, that's, that's how comedy worked back then, right? And then bringing that out in today's light where people are a lot more sensitive towards these kind of issues and then saying that, oh, you're cancelled for that now when back then everyone else was doing it, then I don't think that's really fair. So that's all of how I see it. Right. So I just wanted to um, kind of help our readers contextualise the issue. So I think what Michael is talking about is this divergence between um, ideas um, maybe repugnant or disagreeable ideas and repugnant um, people that have done repugnant acts. So um, Kevin Spacey is a clear example of someone who's done something that is so morally reprehensible, we shouldn't be condoning that. So I think in that sense, it's justified. But I think the line that Michael's talking about is the grey line when people purport ideas um, that don't fit into what we think as um, acceptable. So maybe discussing gender issues in a different way or, um, I don't know, discussing um, political issues in a way that uh, the mainstream does, is not in accordance with. That makes it hard um, for us to find it morally reprehensible because it's something that's just a different perspective or just uh, advancing an idea of how we ought to view or like understand society differently. Um, and even if we don't accord with it, it seems problematic to merely shut someone out entirely on the basis of some opinion they might have. Um, so yeah, I, I think those are the broad ideas that we should start with and then we'll see uh, where we go from there. Fair enough. Uh, I wanted to pose a question to all of you because uh, I believe that perhaps there's an argument to be made that uh, cancel culture affects different individuals 
in a differential manner. Uh, take for example, uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, it appeared uh, that many years ago, he engaged in blackface at a party, at a Halloween party, if I'm not mistaken. And initially he got some backlash for that, but not nearly as much backlash as uh, maybe other figures have uh, received for such a similar action. Why do you guys believe that? Uh, do you believe that there is a differential treatment uh, of people in relation to cancel culture? Some people are more prone to be canceled than others? Yeah, I think I can jump in here. I think that's a great uh, example you bring up, Malik. And um, being Canadian, I uh, was quite surprised by the incident, I suppose, and was, I think, even more surprised by how quickly it went away in terms of, you know, media backlash towards uh, the prime minister, along with popular opinion. Um, so I think there definitely is some inconsistency with cancel culture. Um, and I think you pointed to a great example. Another example um, with a similar vein of cancel culture, I suppose, would be if everyone remembers the, the I think it was called the Covington children, which were um, the group of people who were wearing uh, Make America Great Again hats at a um, protest and a video surfaced online, which made it look like they were shouting down a Native American. But it came out afterwards that this um, group of um, this hate group, uh, including this Native American person, were actually um, almost terrorizing these you know people from the school wearing the MAGA hats. And initially, we saw this enormous amount of backlash against these people. And then afterwards, when the true story came out, it seemed like there was very little coverage, at least from my perspective. So perhaps um, one could posit that um, cancel culture affects different um, people on the varying ends of the political spectrum differently. And the thing that makes uh, the reaction to Justin Trudeau lesser than the reaction to finding out the true story about the Covington um, teenagers could perhaps be because Justin Trudeau's, you know, a left-wing politician and the children are on the right wing. Is this something that's convincing or is this just an anecdotal example? What do you guys think? Um, so I, I, I think Abe's kind of right in that the incidents that do get popularized um, very widely are the incidents that tend to come from the right. And um, those are the ones that get the most backlash. And it could be because um, people who are on social media, who hold lots of different positions and um, of, of influence and power. Um, so you look at major news organizations like the New York Times, for example. All of those are liberal-leaning organizations, so left-leaning. And so I think it's natural for you to expect a reaction more um, adversarial against people on the right because it's just one other bulwark that you can use to strike against people on the right right um but i don't think it's uniquely a right issue and in fact i think um on issues that aren't um social media driven so where there are real consequences i think in fact it's a issue that affects both sides and some might say even it affects the left even more so i i, I just want to bring everyone to the uh, to um this issue of um, cancel culture and censorship on campus. So um, Stanford Anger, who's the head of Georgetown's free speech tracker, suggests that there were 60 incidents of uh, cancel culture leading to a backlash between 2016 and 2018 on campus. Um, 
and some of the notable conservative um, speakers, namely Yanopoulos, Shapiro, Charles Murray and Ann Coulter, have been routinely suppressed on campus. But um, what one thing he notes is that the number of people who have been affected are greater on the left than otherwise. Um, so the, there are more incidents on the right, but they always involve the same speakers, like the ones I've mentioned. But on the left, there's a wider diversity of people, so a greater number of people that are affected by this. So um, I'll, I'll just list out a few points uh, or incidents so we can get an idea of what happens. So in California State University, an adjunct professor was removed for criticizing Donald Trump. Um, there was also death threats, um, which led to a cancellation of an address by a Princeton professor who already gave one at another college, which was critical of Trump. Um, the president of Sonoma State University also apologized for an original poem by students criticizing police violence against African-Americans. Um, and one thing that Sanford uh, points out is that amongst the database, left-wing professors are actually more frequently dismissed than conservative ones, at least from the research he's done. So I, 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 I don't think, I do think that um, the amount of publicity that um, people who have been cancelled on the right is far more prevalent. But um, I'm not sure that it's, it, it's a uniquely right problem. I think it's a problem both ways. Um, and it's something we really need to take a deep look at. Uh, I just have a question for Harish, right? Like, um, was the, was, for example, like all the examples you brought up, right? Like, were they cancelled? Was it uh, something that happened on the internet? People saw it and then there was like a, a movement, a push for them to be cancelled in that sense and then they lost their job the professors lost their jobs as a result or was it something that was institution down so i think the incidents vary um so the the research doesn't specifically look at the different causes but i think if you look at the ones that i've pointed out some of them are institutional um but the one that's um, not institutional and seems to arise out of social media is the death threats that led to the cancellation because of fear of security right um so I think there are both institutional and social media driven factors at play. It's not one or the other. And that's why I think cancel culture is merely um, sort of a symptom of a deeper issue of intolerance of diversity of opinion. And cancel culture is sort of the latest iteration of that. I think that's a very interesting way to put it, Harish. And I think there's little doubt that there is, I suppose, canceling of people um, from both sides of the political spectrum. Um, I think that's definitely true. And when I was researching this topic, I, I did find examples um, from both ends. But when we go back and reflect on the idea of canceling people, particularly for um, opinions they've had in the past, I think this is um, a very important issue to discuss, particularly given the you know contemporary discussion of statues and this sort of thing. Um, but let me give a, an example outside of statues for us to start with. There was um, a few years ago, the communications chief of, I think it was Boeing, who um, was forced out of his job after it came to light on social media that he had written an article um, arguing that women should not be allowed to serve in the military. And he was removed from his position, even despite um, this article being written over like 35 years ago or something like that. And I know 35 years ago may not seem like that long ago, but without a doubt, 
um, you know, political opinion on um, many topics has shifted um, dramatically. So with examples such as this in mind, um, what do you guys think? Should we be judging people in the past by today's um, standards or is perhaps there, perhaps is there a more um, maybe nuanced way of looking at people in the past? Malik, why don't you start us off? All right. So I do think that when we talk about historical figures or when we talk about things that happened in the past, it's important to make a distinction that while it is true that morality changes, there are some moral acts that are so abhorrent today as they were in the past and that there is some common ground of morality. Hence, if historical figures have partaken in some activities that are so abhorrent that they would be considered uh, morally reprehensible uh, across different cultures and across different uh, time periods, then those people should be uh, judged uh, for those moral acts. So what I'm essentially saying is that I don't really believe that much in uh, moral relativism. I do believe that there are certain uh, moral uh, stances, for example, uh, pedophilia, as was mentioned uh, with Kevin Spacey, uh, take the example of uh, cannibalism, uh, even though it is practiced uh, uh, by some tribes in, in, in the Amazon, for example, I do think that broadly speaking, uh, the world at large uh, feels that such uh, practices are uh, morally reprehensible. Now I'm going to delve into a bit more of uh, controversial ground, but I do believe that the transatlantic trade was uh, a moral reprehensible act at the time that it occurred, and not only today. So I would argue that those that participated in the transatlantic trade should be judged uh, as uh, figures uh, that committed uh, something that was morally reprehensible, not only today, but at that time as well. And let me explain myself. Uh, it is indeed true to point uh, that many cultures other than uh, uh, Europeans engaged in slavery prior to the uh, transatlantic trade. However, uh, the scale of the enslavement that occurred between the 16th and 19th century is something uh, that differentiates that uh, slave trade from other cultural slavery practices. Uh, it lasted for about four centuries and roughly 12 million African people were enslaved. Uh, moreover, while slavery was legal in many nations at that time, one cannot deny that there was widespread opposition to the practice. Uh, for example, the Roman Catholic Church, an institution with great uh, power and moral power at the time, uh, officially condemned the slave trade in the 17th century after the efforts of Lorenzo da Silva Mendoza, a Brazilian, in fact, a, a fellow countryman of mine. And uh, this serves as an example that uh, such practices were uh, abhorred not only today under today's morals, but also at that time. Other practices can also be viewed in a similar manner, and those practices should entitle a person to judge another, uh, no matter the time period or culture. Right. I, I, I definitely do agree with that, but I think now, looking at it now, right, like it's the, it, there, there is no straight judgment between what is wrong and what is right. So when you talk about heinous acts, like yes, you completely agree, right? You know, slavery, slavery was bad then, it's bad now. And likewise, with the Kevin Spacey issue, right, pedophilia was bad then, it is still bad now, but the, the thing is, when there's no hard and, or fast line on like what is, morally right or wrong and things change like say for example right like we've come very far in terms of trans rights and so i'll bring up like an example from the u.s where bill nye the science guy right everybody loves bill nye um he teaches science and there there are clips of him teaching like speaking about gender and he, he says very openly right that there are only two genders right there are only two accepted genders and that's how it was and like the same thing for this uh abraham's example of this boeing chief 
right? Back then, I mean, 35 years ago, views on women's rights were not what they are now. So when the goalposts shift, right, is it is it okay for us to then turn back and be like, well, the goalposts have shifted now, so we're going to assume that you meant you meant that and you are you still mean that now, right? And of course, Bill Nye has come out and said, you know, he's spoken out in, in support of trans rights and he has changed his stance. But what I believe the issue with cancel culture is, one of the bigger issues with cancel, cancel culture is, is that it doesn't hold people accountable, right? Like it's a different me- mechanism for accountability and cancel culture, right? So if we go back to the example of the Boeing chief, right? He was fired from his job because he once thought that females should not serve in the army. I think it would have been more fair for some anyone to have been like, okay, what are your views on it now? And if he still says, you know, women shouldn't be in the military, then yeah, sure, you know, like he's cancelled, he's done because he's still holding on to these views that no longer have any, no should no longer be around in this day and age, right? But by cancelling him, you're not holding him accountable for his actions. You're just saying that, oh, you know, because you did this in the past, you're a horrible person. I don't care if you have changed or not. And we, people do change. And it's, it's, on these things where it's very, it's sort of like a gray area because, you know, back then it was okay for society. The, the, the societal view was, you know, women stay at home, they don't work. And then, you know, the man goes out and makes money. Horrible idea. Like, I would like to stay at home too. Uh, but it's, I, it's, you know, the things, things change and people change along with them, right? So if we just cancel everybody for what they've said like 30 years ago, then there's no incentive for you to get better because if you've said something wrong 30 years ago and even if you've changed, you're still cancelled, then why try to be a better person, right? It shouldn't be about... It, it, it shouldn't be about holding... The, like, you know, forcing them to hold on to those views and saying that those views are intrinsically bound with them as a person and they can never be changed. Because they can be changed, and if they have changed, then it's it's good, right? Because then it shows that we as a society have progressed. We as individuals have progressed. So I think it's quite unfair to the in in Abraham's example at least. I don't think it's fair for for him to have faced that kind of backlash for something he said that long ago. But then again, it's important to note that I'm not saying that if he was if they said that oh he was a pedophile and he was caught molesting kids thirty years ago, I would be okay with that. No, it's not. It was never okay then. It's never okay now, right? There, there's a line that we can draw, but I just think that it's not very clear now and it can be better. Uh, Michael, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, I do agree with you. And you talked especially and specifically about the gray areas, right? And my point was that there are certain lines. And as you mentioned, pedophilia, that is one of those lines. I was merely making the argument that slavery is another one. Uh, I fancy myself somewhat of a history nerd. And I believe that there is a certain bit of uh, history written by the victors to say that slavery was more widely accepted than it really was. There is this perception that uh, people at that time uh, accepted uh, that practice and uh, did not really find anything morally troublesome with that practice. And people believe that. People believe that that was a widely held belief. I challenge that uh, idea. And uh, of course, that has been shaped by my experiences, by my uh, reading of literature. And I merely place a... that uh, specific act as morally reprehensible no matter what. It, you rightly mentioned that uh, the idea of gender has changed from uh, today to 30 years back. You mentioned Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, what a lad. Uh, and you mentioned how he's changed now. Nowadays, he, he, he does support uh, uh, transgender rights. 
And uh, of course, uh, he shouldn't be canceled because, as you mentioned, he, he has changed. And I do believe that that change is possible. I just believe that there are certain areas and certain morally reprehensible actions uh, that they, they, they simply can't be justified by saying that the goalposts have been moved because the goal, those goalposts have, have been set in stone and uh, they, they weren't really moved uh, at all, if, uh, if I make myself clear. Yeah, uh, just adding on to what uh, Michael and Malik have shared, I also think that um, there are clear lines. I, I definitely agree with them on that. But I do think um, the inefficacy of cancel culture goes beyond just not being able to hold people accountable and allowing them to repent or change. It, it's the fact that it doesn't even make a dent on most powerful individuals. And that's something, that's an idea I think that is fairly... Uh, People aren't understanding that accountability is just really hard to get. Um, Kevin Hart, for example, has withdrawn from the Oscars for making homophobic comments. And he continued to do so in spite of the backlash. But, I mean, look at his his stand-up specials now. And I'll be the first to say I'm a big fan of Kevin Hart in terms of his work. But I'm not going to accept his homophobic comments. But he simply will continue to do well. It's the same thing with Shane Gillis, who was dropped from Saturday Night Live but still happened to do well in stand-up shows. I was even invited for Heart to Heart by Andrew Yang, a man who is beloved across America for his universal basic income ideas. So I'm not sure that cancel culture even makes a difference, right? Uh, I don't even think it works most of the time against the people who we really might need it to work against. So I don't know. I think we have to recognize, um, first off, that... Like, take pedophilia, for example. Obviously, that's, you know, a disgusting thing and a horrible thing. And anyone who does that, you know, I think should probably go to jail for the rest of their life. Um, but even something like pedophilia, historically, I don't think it's necessarily true to say that it was always something considered morally wrong. Like, for example, in ancient uh, Rome and ancient Greece, um, pedophilia was something that was not only common, but it was also something that was seen as good and as something that was celebrated. So I think when we speak broadly about things that are, you know, um, absolutely morally correct or absolutely morally wrong, I think we have to remember that I think there's almost none of these things if we look back over, you know, thousands of years. And I think that, you know, brings the question to my mind, which is, um, we, we're looking back at things, you know, decades in the past or hundreds of years in the past or, you know, thousands of years in the past. How will, you know, people in the future look back on us? What sort of practices do we employ today, which we think are the morally correct actions that people in the future will think are morally wrong? And I'm sure we'll cancel people, you know, from our time for having done. So I think that's one of the concerns I have with canceling people in the past because I, I don't think that our generation is you know without a doubt correct on everything and I'm, I'm pretty confident that people decades or centuries from now are going to think practices which we employ today are you know cruel and vile and you know crazy things so I, I think that's something perhaps we should discuss and I also want to ask Harish isn't it a bit you know hypocritical of you to say oh um, you know I like Kevin Hart for his, his work, and I'll, you know, listen to his work, I presume, but at the same time, disagree with his homophobic comments and that sort of thing. 
isn't it, you know, wouldn't it be more consistent for you not to be comfortable watching his work, which includes this homophobic, you know, comments and stuff, because wouldn't, aren't you effectively endorsing his right to say these things by continuing to be a fan of his? Um, so just to respond to the Kevin Hart bit, I do want to say that I've listened to his work before his uh, Oscar comments came to light. Um, I have yet to watch a Kevin Hart video since, but it's not because I'm protesting necessarily. It just haven't happened to watch, have not uh, come across a video that I wanted to watch. But I do think you're right in that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that we should be supporting individuals who are making those statements, are standing behind those statements. All I'm saying is that as a method, cancel culture is problematic because it doesn't even achieve the outcomes that it seeks to achieve. So it's just that cancel culture is ultimately not as effective as people want it to be. Uh, and I don't think it ever will because good people, popular people, uh, I mean, good in the sense of successful people, um, will always find a way to come back. And it's only in the exceptional circumstance that it won't be able to come back. I think Abraham's also exactly right in that uh, right, uh, I mean, with the example of pedophilia, right, um, actually, uh, relations between an older and younger man were seen as common ways for people to advance up the social ladder in ancient Greece. And it was actually a tool of, uh, a political tool in order to advance and gain power. So I think uh, when, when I think Michael, Malik and I come in and say, hey, we should not, um, we should definitely recognize these things as wrongs. I think we're merely saying, let's not celebrate these people. I think there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that um, these people were products of their time. And it's the same thing with us, right? We're not always going to be moral people, right? Um, so people are just that. They're just people meant to be studied in the feud, in the past, by the present. And I think the issue that Malik has is, if we can write history, and, or at least look at history and say this is wrong. So for example, um, statues of people who were involved in the slave trade. And it's a symbol that was, and it's a symbol of saying that this was wrong, and we acknowledge and uh, we acknowledge the wrongs done to a group of people, right? I think it will only serve to strengthen our moral, uh, our societal moral conduct, or at least a belief system that's shared by society that slavery has and always has been wrong, even though that is in some ways revisionist. So, um, I think it's an instrumental tool in making sure that we reinforce those beliefs that we have at present. It's not necessarily a knock on the beliefs of the past. So um, it's just kind of, what can we do with the information we have? What can we do with the history we have? We can either choose to celebrate those values or those things that happen, or we can choose to break it down. Now, I'm not necessarily taking a position on whether we should bring down those statues. All I'm saying is that there is a compelling argument to condone and condemn some parts of history in order to uh, shape our moral narrative at present. Okay, very cool. And I, I think that um, makes a lot of sense, Harish. Um, another thing I was you know, interested in um, discussing, I suppose, is the notion that when we're looking back on our, I guess, our ancestors, maybe we shouldn't be judging them by everything they've done. Rather, we should think back to, let's say, Winston Churchill and think, what is he most known for? And we should judge him by what he's most known for, that being, you know, um, 
I suppose, defending Europe from um, Nazis. And of course, he's you know done things which um, wouldn't be seen as good today. But um, is it best to overshadow all the good he's done um, by looking at the the flaws he may have had? Is this maybe a more um, consistent way on looking at our ancestors to consider and I suppose evaluate them by the actions which we know the most for? Uh, what do you think, Michael? Uh, I. Th- think that's kind of like in the face of everything that Harish has said which I completely agree with by the way uh, it's kind of difficult for us to do that because okay so you know we look at Winston Churchill now and we know that he was problematic he had he held problematic views but he did you know he did win the war and that was a, that was massively important of course but if we look at it in terms of like what they are most known for if take the example of Kevin Hart right Kevin Hart will be most known for his comedy and what he's done in that area as opposed to the problematic views he holds in terms of you know gay rights right so like if if we look at the current people we know now right like say for example Kevin Spacey and if nothing happens to him you know like maybe like 50 60 years down the road that will be lost we might lose that the pedophilia aspect of it and be like oh well you know he's a really great actor and of course, that's like that's kind of concerning for me personally. I don't think that that should happen. But at the same time, it, it's true that cancel culture doesn't work against the people that we hope it or we want it to work against. And most times, we don't know whether it's going to work at all. So then the question comes of what can we do better, right, as a society? Like, how do we hold these people accountable, and how do we uh, like you know like how how can we change the perspective on this because if we say that oh you know we'll just like it will just look back on everything and just base it on the most uh, like what they are most known for then what we're essentially saying in that aspect is saying it, with regard to that is saying that okay all that matters is you have to be really good at x whatever x is and that's all that people remember you for and you just and it doesn't matter who you are as a person as long as you're good at x you're fine Right, and you'll be okay, and you'll be remembered forever. And I don't think I don't think that's the kind of that's the kind of history we want to write. So I do think that um, we need to really think deeply about the kind of history we want to write. Um, I also think uh, a rounded perspective of history allows us to more fully appreciate um, the good that people have done, as well as the not so good things that they've done. And there's nothing. I think the problem really comes when we start to celebrate these individuals as um, something greater than what they are, which are, which is that they're human, right? So if we think Churchill and we say Churchill was a, was a great uh, tactician, he was a man that won uh, World War II for Britain, that's fine. But if we start saying Churchill's an incredible man, um, he's a war hero, and we start celebrating him, I guess that's when the problem comes in. I guess this also has to do with identity, right? Most people tend to conglomerate, I mean, uh, coagulate around a certain figurehead or a certain individual. I think Churchill, for example, is a big, is an incredibly um, polarizing figure because to most Brit- British individuals and also to people beyond Britain, Churchill is seen as this uh, figurehead of victory for the, for the war and um, victory against 
uh, anti-Semitism and Nazi Germany and everything it stood for, which is fine. But what we don't recognize is that Churchill also did lots of things around around that um, that tends to be overlooked. And there are people who still suffer from the consequences of those overlookings. Um, namely, we're looking at the South Asian continent. Um, so I do think that having a rounded looks of history just helps you, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess it just legitimates the feelings of people who feel like they've been oppressed. And that just builds a more cohesive society. I don't think anyone's expecting um, Churchill to be perfect, or even Gandhi to be perfect, right? Gandhi has Gandhi has been heralded for, I guess, 70 over years, but Gandhi has been known to do some really messed up things, like sleeping with his own grandniece naked, for example. Like, But should we cancel Gandhi just because of that? I don't think so. I, I, I'm entirely on board with Abe in that we should look at people in a rounded fashion. Uh, we shouldn't celebrate them more than they ought to be celebrated. So we can celebrate them for their achievements. We should also look at them in a rounded manner and think they, they are products of their time, they have their flaws, and they're just human, right? Um, I think with regards to an example like Kevin Hart, for example, right? Kevin Hart is really incredible as at his work. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. And but I, I mean, obviously he's a rounded human being. He is a, um, someone who has his flaws, and his flaws are those things that we just pointed out. He has said homophobic things. Um, I'm not sure normatively as well. Uh, cancel culture or at least canceling someone is the way to go. Because it not only does not do the thing that you want it to do, and in fact, it antagonizes the people that you want to change, right? What, what do you want? You want people to change their opinions. You don't want this person to sort of just go off the face of the earth. And the only way to do that is to healthy discussion and bridging the gap. Um, so I, I, I'm not a fan of cancel culture of people who are still living and who have the perspective to change. Um, with regards to people who are uh, historical relics, I think we just have to look at them in a more rounded manner instead of celebrating them the way we do many of our uh, figureheads or um, celebrated leaders, you know. So I, I think that just helps us give get a bit more perspective on what the past was. And that kind of rounded attitude is what will help us bridge the gap that we see be, um, in cancel culture today. I think you're absolutely right, Harish. And I think uh, your strongest point was when you talked about how historical figures, they're human. I mean, uh, I, I'm asking all of you, our listeners, if you've never done something that you're embarrassed about or that uh, you regret doing in your life. And I dare say that, of course you have. I mean, I have uh, some things I'm embarrassed to have done and that's because I'm human. And we have to recognize that. And I guess that is why I find cancel culture problematic because it does not allow for political discourse, right? Because if truly what the other person is saying is so important, as I have mentioned some examples, then it should be very easy to, uh, utilize your own rationale and your arguments to take down uh, the opponent's, uh, well, uh, uh, morally reprehensible uh, arguments, right? And taking that into account, it is much more powerful for you to convince uh, or at least show the other side why they are wrong than uh, not, not give them uh, the, the platform uh, to, to express themselves. Because without that, they will, they will always keep on thinking that they're right. And that is not what we want. Uh, we can only evolve by having, as a society as a whole, uh, discourses and uh, platications because that is how we change our, our ideas. I have myself changed many thoughts I used to have by having discussions. So uh, I, I do find uh, council culture problematic. Yeah, I, th I think those are some good points, Malik. So just to end us off here, um, 
let's let's go one at a time. And I think everyone's already generally given their thoughts on cancel culture broadly, but maybe there are some better alternatives um, to cancel culture that could perhaps make society um, better generally today. What, what what do you think, Michael? Are there um, any ways we can still perhaps get the benefits which people uh, espouse come from cancel culture of getting rid of outdated ideas without essentially ruining people's lives? Uh, I think cancel, it's difficult because of the way, like why cancel culture exists is because there have been no, like people look around and go, well, you know, this guy's doing horrible things and he should, something should happen to him, right? But nothing is happening to him. So I'll take to the internet and see who agrees with me. And then, you know, if people agree with me, then he's cancelled, right? Like that's generally how I see the cancel culture movement happening. Of course, there are other mechanisms in which it works, but that's one of the big ones, right? And in terms of, with regards to that specifically, I don't see how we can change that because we already, it's, it's, cancel culture was born from a flaw in whatever society, like in, in society that we see where, you know, famous or powerful people do horrible things and then they don't face consequences for it. So we take it upon ourselves to be like, you know, hey, this guy's a horrible person. And then that bleeds into like, us looking at everyone in that same lens and that's where the that's where the issue comes in and also nothing happens to those powerful people because they're powerful people and we're just voices on the internet so i find it's quite difficult for me to like think of something that could change other than the fact that you know like people have to be more receptive like the people at the at the top or like you know whoever's running like you know or whoever's running things like in, in at an institution if something comes up and you know that there, there has to be some sort of backlash and some sort of uh consequences for whatever horrible things that people have done and also as individuals i think it's we if you are going to hold somebody accountable you are going you are going to cancel them then you have to you have to follow up you have to follow through right so it's a bit difficult because I mean it's easy to tweet like you know oh Kevin Hart's cancelled and then you're like well but his show is pretty funny though and then you watch his show and then you know like you're just like then that who cares right um I think the biggest tool in everyone's arsenal is to engage and to engage with the other side whoever you disagree with um it's, I, I think it's the hardest thing to do because it's easy for you to rally around an, an, an enemy or an opponent and just think, oh, he's he or she is clearly wrong. I'm clearly right. Let me go to like-minded people and bounce my ideas off and reinforce my own bubble, right? Um, the harder thing is to engage and to ask questions and to ask, why do you believe these things? Um, or why do you feel this way? Uh, I, I guess we need to have the moral courage to start doing that and to recognize that people will always think differently from ourselves and to reach out and to get them to understand your perspective. And you need not have to agree, but at least you can come to some common ground. And that's the most powerful tool I had. I think we all have. So I guess that's where I will start. Well, I, I guess I was just reflecting upon uh, the fact that we have had the idea of boycotting for a long time, right? Uh, and I guess you can see cancel culture as a, a strain of boycott. I don't think I'd necessarily uh, oppose uh, boycotting uh, certain figures if they 
insist on maintaining uh, views that are morally reprehensible uh, according to today's society. So we're talking about modern figures, figures that are still alive. So for example, uh, if you have a figure that is actively supporting uh, financially uh, war criminals, uh, not buying their products might be uh, a positive uh, action that you can take. However, uh, I'm leaning towards Harris's idea of uh, engaging in discourse with those that do not agree with you because that's how you actually get diversity of thought and how you're able to enrich your own experience as a human. Because if you're surrounded by the same like-minded people, you'll have the same ideas, the same thoughts, the same interactions uh, until the day you, you die. And honestly, I, I feel that that's a pretty sad existence. Uh, so uh, perhaps uh, something that we could do to improve on society is to have more of those discourses as Harish proposes. And I guess we would all like to hear now uh, what Abraham uh, has to say uh, in regards to cancel culture. Lovely. Well, I hate cancel culture. I think it sucks. I think it does more harm than good. And I think it's a, a very real threat to um, neoliberal civilization. Um, and guess what? Uh, I don't think Kevin Hart should be canceled when the comments he's being, he, well, he was being canceled for were made at the same time that uh, President Obama was publicly against gay marriage. So why cancel him and not President Obama? I think the whole thing's uh, insanely hypocritical. Um, and I think we're going to see some uh, very real negative effects emanating from it in the future. And I realize maybe that's a little bit pedantic, but uh, it does concern me. But I think it's important that that's not to say that holding people accountable, like Kevin Spacey, you know, like Harvey Weinstein for the disgusting things they've done, they should be, you know, um, thrust out of society and um, uh, thrown in prison and, you know, really suffer the consequences for what they've done. But I don't think that's really canceling them. I think as just holding people accountable. I think we need more of that. I think we need more debate. I think we need more discourse. And I think we need to find more middle ground between people because I think polarization, both politically and in other senses, is a very scary thing. Um, so that's that's my opinion, I suppose. So just wrapping up for us, um, as our listeners will have seen, uh, our schedule hasn't been fantastic as of late. Um, hopefully moving forward, this is something where we can get uh, back on our steady two-week upload schedule. Um, and thank you for bearing with us, I suppose. So just a few notes before we go. As always, if you're a fan of the show or just enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating or review in the podcast store or perhaps tell a friend about us. To stay up to date, uh, make sure to subscribe to the show. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at pseudointpod. Follow us on Instagram at pseudointellectualspod or like our page on Facebook at pseudointellectualspod. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and you will hear from us again soon.